we see a responsibility that is a co- something that is commanded, a duty commanded, and then a dose of reality. That is a description of the days in which we live. The reality is described at the end of verse 16. Because the days are evil. And it is the reason for the responsibility that comes in verse 15 into the first half of verse 16. And that's why it says, because the days are evil. So the responsibility comes in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. That's our responsibility. That's the command in this passage. And that's based on a reason, which is a description of reality. Because the days are excuse me, are evil. We're going to begin by looking at that reality described in verse 16. And then we will come back to that responsibility set down on the basis of it in verse 15 into verse 16. The apostle says the days are evil. By saying the days are evil, he does not mean, of course, the hours on the clock or the day on the calendar, but Rather, he means means that the times in which we live are themselves characterized not by goodness, but rather by evil. The days are, are the days really evil? Well, recall that in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, God, he made them all out of nothing in the space of six days and all very good. In fact, Several times the Lord God in Genesis chapter 1 made pronouncements upon his creation. And God saw that it was good. Yet, you all know very well that shortly after the Lord God made a good creation, that God made man upright, but he has sought out many devices. And man has since fallen and brought himself into what we call a state of sin and misery. Man is, by virtue of his relationship with Adam, a sinner. Man is guilty before God and therefore subjected to misery. So, while in Genesis chapter 1 the Lord God declared that the days were good, he no less in this chapter of Ephesians tells us that the days are evil. We may not always perceive that the days are evil, but it is helpful for us to examine whether they are, in fact, evil. I want you to know that if the days were good, there would be no disorder or chaos, no vanity or absurdity. Remember that the Lord took, he spoke into the darkness and created the light and ordered a good creation. And it is the opposite of creation that we see today. We see uncreating, we see disorder, we see chaos, we see absurdity, we see something they call entropy, things wear down, wear out, break down, weeds grow in gardens. You do the dishes and the next moment you look and the sink is full again. You wash the laundry and there are more dirty clothes. You put gas in your car and you have to stop again in a matter of days to fill it up again. This is what we call disorder, chaos, Decreation, things wear out. If the days were good, we would see no disease. Do you know that when the Lord God on day six pronounced that it was very good, he meant to say that there was no disease 
There were no diseases in, in man or in animal or even in plants. Things were perfectly and completely healthy just as God had made them. If the days were good, we would see no cancer. We would not pray for cancer treatments. We would never have heard of the term chemotherapy. There would be no cardiovascular diseases, no heart attacks, no strokes or anything of that nature. No Alzheimer's disease or dementia, not even diabetes. No arthritis, no coronavirus, no pneumonia. Not even the common cold, canker sores, or diaper rash. All of these things have come into the world because of sin. None of those things is good. And if you think that those things are good, you sorely miss what good is. None of these things existed in God's original creation. They exist now, and therefore the Apostle Paul says that the days are evil. So if the days were good, there would be no disorder, no disease. And of course, there would be no disasters. By disasters, I mean things like floods and earthquakes and tornadoes and blizzards and car crashes and shipwrecks and plane wrecks and all of these kinds of things. We would not see the towers falling. We would not see mass casualty events. None of these things would exist in a good world, an unfallen world. And of course, you know that in addition to not being any disorder or disease or disasters, there would be no death. It is by sin that death entered the world and death was a consequence of man's disobedience of God and there was no death when God said it is good, it is very good. Nothing had died. Nothing would have had to have died had there not been the entrance of sin. And yet, do you know that on any given day around the world, upwards of 150,000 souls separate from their bodies every single day? Day in and day out, 365 days a year, 365 days a year, 150,000 souls separated from their bodies. Do you know that when the Lord God made man, he took a soul and joined it to a body? And death is an unnatural rending, that tearing apart of the soul and the body. God put them together, death tears them apart. And death brings sorrow and many other complications. But in a good, if the days were good, beloved, there would be no death. There was no death in the garden prior to man's fall. Man sinned and his sin brought death. This is the reality in which we live. Now, I've described what we might call natural evil. These are just simply consequences of living in a fallen universe. I have not even begun to describe what we sometimes call moral evil. That is to say, man and his sins against God. If we lived in a good world, if the days were good, God, the true God, will be worshipped everywhere by everyone in spirit and in truth. As it is today, there are many who worship false gods. There are many who worship no god at all. There are some who worship the true God, but worship him falsely. As you can see, the days are not good. God is not worshipped in spirit and in truth. If the days were good, God's names, attributes, works, and words would be highly regarded. They would be only used with the greatest esteem. 
But in our society and in our days, God's name is a swear word. His work is attributed to random chance. His word is called hate speech. His people are the scum of the earth. If the days were good, God's Sabbath, the day on which God himself in the beginning rested, having created, if the days were good, the Sabbath would be kept holy everywhere by everyone. As you know, the Sabbath, the Lord's day, is routinely profaned. It is a time for every man to do everything that he wants except to worship God. It is a time for shopping and soccer and swimming and who knows what else. Anything but worshiping God is a time on which man has done his own thing and ignored God altogether. If the world, if this, these days were good, the duties which we all owe to one another as inferiors, superiors, and equals would all be joyfully performed. But as it is, we have governments that tyrannize their citizens, husbands who are cold and unloving towards their wives, parents who neglect the training of their children. We have wives who disrespect their husbands, children who disobey their parents, citizens who cannot be bothered to pray for their governors. We have elders and ministers in the church who fleece the flock and we have backbiting and gossiping and slandering by members against their ministers, elders, and deacons. The days, beloved, are not good. If they were, we would not see these things. If the days were good, men and women would preserve the lives of their neighbors. And yet we have between 800,000 and a million abortions in our country every year. Men and women killing their own offspring. That doesn't even mention all the other hatred and and unkind acts that mankind does to one another every day all around the world. If the days were good, each of us would be chaste in our hearts, in our speech, in our actions. But as it is, we have rampant immorality in our households, our families. We have fornication and adultery. We have cross-dressing politicians in Washington, D.C. We have men dressing as women and behaving as women and vice versa. We have men marrying men and women marrying women. We have homosexual professing ministers in our churches. These things are not chastity. And if the days were good, we would not see these things. If the days were good, men and women would work hard at good things in order that we would have something to give away, in order that we could be generous. But in our society, there are many who will not work at all. You see them standing by the off-ramps. You see them collecting unemployment checks. You see them begging for handouts. They would rather leech off of others than work hard and be generous. And then those who do work hard, many of those are only working hard for their own benefit. What's theirs is theirs, and they're not going to give it to anyone else. They work hard, but only for themselves, and that they can spend it on their own pleasures. If the days were good, we would all promote 
and defend the good name of our neighbors. As it is, our days are taken up with gossip, falsehood, slander, licentious talk. From the moment you turn on the television or the radio or the computer or your phone all throughout the day, it is filled with all manner of unloving, unneighborly talk. If the days were good, we would all be content with our own estate, with the things God has given to us, and we would each have a charitable esteem towards our neighbors. Yet, as it is, we and our children are constantly taught to grumble against God's providence. It's not fair. Someone else has something I don't have. We are taught to envy our neighbor and to begrudge him whenever God blesses him. Beloved, I hope that you agree with me and the Apostle Paul when he says the days are evil. This is the reality. The days are evil and we cannot be naive and try to live as if they were not. We cannot be like the soldier who refuses to acknowledge there's a war. We cannot be like the farmer who does not want to plant. No, that means we have a responsibility, and that's what follows. The days are evil, therefore we, beloved, must pay attention to how carefully we live. And that starts in verse 15 and goes into verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So we have our responsibility, and we're going to break that up into three basic parts. The first of them is that we need to pay attention to how carefully we live. He begins with the word see. That's actually a command there, interestingly. He's not just, not just telling us it's good for us, but he's actually commanding us see. This word that's translated see here oftentimes means take heed, beware, be careful. Pay attention. Let me give you just a couple of examples. It was quite often uh, spoken by the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, he said, Take heed what you hear. The take heed is that word see. See to it. Be careful. Look closely. Beware what you hear. In Mark chapter 8, verse 15, he said, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. The word translated take heed is the same as our word see. Take heed, said Christ in Mark 13, 5, that no one deceives you. There again, see. See to it. Be careful that no one deceives you. One more time, Mark chapter 13, verse 9. But watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before elders and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. Watch out is the word there. See. Blepete. Watch out. Pay attention. So the Lord wants us to pay attention. To what are we to pay attention? To our walk. We are to look at how we are walking to make sure that we are walking circumspectly. That's the next term I want you to look at, circumspectly. That comes from the Latin word. It literally means look around, right? Circum, like a circle, around, spec, like spectacles. So in the Latin, into the English, the word means to look around, to pay careful attention. The original Greek word means exactly, 
carefully, not deviating from the standard whatsoever. This is the word that King Herod used with the uh, Magi when he said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me that I may go and worship him. But the word translated carefully there is this word, circumspectly. So he's saying, go and make an exact and, and very careful search for this child. Luke, you know Luke the physician and historian and the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, he said this at the beginning of his gospel. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly, that is, a circumspect account, most excellent Theophilus. So you see what Luke is saying? I wanted to write to you an exact, a very careful, a very detailed, a very accurate account of all these things you've heard about. So we're to pay attention to how we live and to see that we are being careful about it. We're to look at ourselves to see whether we are walking and are we walking carefully, exactly, to, according to the standard. Now, you all know that the word walk oftentimes stands for our lives, the manner of our life. This is the seventh time now the apostle has used the word walk in Ephesians. And I pray you will not be wearied if I review them briefly. But it is said that we once walked in chapter 2, verse 2, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In chapter 2, verse 10, we read that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we should walk in them. In chapter 4, verse 1, we are told, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In chapter 4, verse 17, we are told, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of of their minds. In 5.2, just a little while ago, we learned we must walk in love. In 5.8, we were told to walk as children of light. And finally here, then he says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So what the apostle is saying here is that your manner of life, your way of living, your thoughts and words and actions should be very careful And they should be wise and purposeful. So let's look at the careful walk. It is a wise and purposeful walk. We see this in verse 15 and following. A careful walk is wise. Notice, first of all, there is a contrast. He says, not as fools, but as wise. And literally, it's not as unwise, but as wise. The New King James has fools, but I think there's a close enough relationship between unwise and fool. But this contrast is one of several contrasts. And this is something I want you all to understand. And as we go through this epistle of the Ephesians, the apostle is constantly setting these contrasts between the people of God and those still in their sins. And he's constantly imploring us to be as those who have been redeemed and not be like those who are still in their sins. In chapter 2, he said, some are dead in sin, right? We were once dead in sin, but now we are alive to God. We have been described as brought near to God, whereas the rest of the world are far off 
aliens and strangers. They are called sons of disobedience. We are called dear children. They are called unclean. We are called saints. They are called darkness. We are called light. Do you see those contrasts? And and so the contrast here between fools and wise is of the same thing. You understand that the, the fool is dead, far off, disobedient, unclean, and dark. The wise, however, are alive, near to God, dear children, called saints and light. So the unwise, the fools, are those who are not intent on pleasing God by loving him and their neighbor. They do not fear God. They do not know God. William Hendrickson says this, the fools are those who regard as very important what is in reality of minor value or may even be harmful. And they do not appreciate what is indispensable and they conduct themselves accordingly. So, another, so what he's saying here is they, they put extreme value on things that are either of little importance or even harmful to them. Right? They don't put the emphasis on God and his word. They don't put it on the emphasis on doing righteousness and goodness and truth. They put it on other things. And then they act accordingly. They live according to the principles of their hearts. But these are contrasted with the wise. To, to walk wisely... You all know that wisdom refers to that skill for loving God and neighbor. And that it consists in the fear of God and the knowledge of God. Wisdom in scripture means the skill for loving God and neighbor. And it consists, that is to say, it's built up of or comes from a fear of God and a knowledge of God. There's a relationship between wisdom and the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord. Whenever you increase in one of those things, you increase in the others. If you increase in your knowledge of God, if you get true knowledge of God and you increase in it, you increase in your love for God. And if you increase in your love for God, you increase in your fear for God. And by fear for God, I mean that childlike reverence for your heavenly Father who you love. So any one of these things, when it increases, it increases all of the others. How then can we walk as wise? Well, we begin by fearing God, by having that childlike reverence for our Father in heaven. Proverbs 1:7 tells us the fear, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 9 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That means it's its starting place. The fear of the Lord, that childlike reverence increases as our love for God increases and our love for God increases as our knowledge of God increases. This wisdom comes from searching for it. In Proverbs chapter 2, I won't read it tonight, but in Proverbs chapter 2, we are told to search for wisdom, to value it more than silver or gold. And if we do, God will give us wisdom. But you see, you have to search for it. It doesn't happen by accident. 
It doesn't happen by sitting still. It doesn't happen by ignoring. No, we have to search for it. We gain wisdom by turning from sin. One of the wisest things we can do, beloved, one of the wisest things you can do is to turn away from sin and turn towards God. Turn away from that harmful thing that God hates and turn towards him who can heal you. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Do you see that? Hating evil is love to God or fear of God. Another way that we can increase in wisdom is by hearing from God. The Lord says in Proverbs 23, 19, Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do you see the connection there between hearing and guiding our hearts and then the way? We would walk in a way, wouldn't we? See, the proverb is talking about the same thing that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Be wise. Have your heart filled with wisdom and guided according to God's precepts, circumspectly, and then walk wisely. It is similar to the path which Christ warned about, right? Wide, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow, circumspect is the path that leads to life. Few find it. We can increase our wisdom by believing. It's sort of like how in the Lord's Supper, we must have faith to receive a benefit from the Lord's Supper. But in taking the supper by faith, we get more faith. Okay, so too with wisdom. We must have faith in God in order to be wise, right? But by fearing God, we get more wisdom. And so too with believing in God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's another way of saying your walk will be wise. Of course, we get wisdom by asking God for it. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to you. Finally, We develop wisdom by practicing it. Remember, I told you, wisdom is a skill. It's a skill. It's a discipline. It's a thing that we have to use. And it's just like any other skill. We practice it. We work at it. We stumble. We falter. But we keep practicing it. You don't learn to play the piano by not practicing it. You don't get to be wise by not practicing it. And so we can walk wisely by practicing. So we see we must walk wisely. Now we look at the next section. We must live purposefully, redeeming the time, says the apostle. So I say purposely, meaning not aimlessly, not unintentionally, not haphazardly. No, deliberately, intentionally, purposefully. We are walking such that we redeem the time. Remember, The days are evil, so we've got it set against us. And we need to try and redeem the time. The word redeem here literally means purchase. 
you know the word redemption. You have been redeemed, that is to say, purchased by the blood of Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, which you know, says this. God sent forth his Son to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's the word redeem, the same word that we have in our passage here. Redeem the time. You see, Christ redeemed sinners by forfeiting his life for them, by obeying his Father, by keeping the commandments. He redeemed people. And God is here instructing us to redeem time, to purchase time. Now, how can we buy time? I'm not talking about a timeshare in Florida. I am not talking, I wish that there were ways that we could actually add more hours to the day, but that's not what's being discussed here. We can't get more time, but we can make better use of the time that we do have. And that's what this is about. Redeem the time, that means make better use, make good use of the evil days. And then you completely change the whole thing. You take an evil day and you influence it with the light, with goodness, And you have now changed it completely. The days are evil. But if we fill them with good things, we make them better. Just even as God in filling us with his goodness makes us better. Right? So to us in our relationships, in our households, in our workplace, whatever it is. If we fill our days with good things... We increase the goodness and the light that exists in this world. That is how we redeem the time. So here are some helps for redeeming the time. And we're going to close with these. First of all, we need to remember that the days are few. Yes, they're evil, right? But man's days are short and filled with trouble. Oh, they are so short. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. We must realize that we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised a set number of days. And the time goes by so quickly. Therefore, we should have motivation to make better use of our days. Beloved, maybe I'm just going to ask you tonight. Is there some good thing you've been putting off? Is there some good thing that you think you should be doing and you've been putting it off? Can I encourage you tonight to take that seriously? To to go ahead and do that good thing? To do that thing that is pleasing to God? Don't waste the days because the days are fleeting. Another way is by starting right now. Start right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. You see, the sooner you start, the better it will go. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of effort to develop the wisdom and the purpose that the apostle is describing here. And the sooner we start, the better. Children, this is especially, hear this. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. That way when you get to be old like Pastor Appleton... You have already learned some things. You have already practiced walking in wisdom. You will develop that skill. And you can be wiser than all your teachers. Another help to this is prioritizing heavenly things. 
right? We don't want to be like those William Hendrickson described as primarily concerned about unimportant or harmful things. No, we want to be most concerned about most important things. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, This world is passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you see that, beloved Christian? You, doing the will of God, you're going to remain longer than anything you've ever seen. You will be around longer than this earth or anything you've ever seen or heard or touched or tasted or smelled. You will continue forever. Another way is by imitating Christ. And I won't read it this evening, but if you take a moment to go back and look at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, we have a description of a life in the day of Jesus Christ. It was when he first started his ministry, and it's just a typical day for him. But it's fascinating if you read it. He started out the morning by teaching in the synagogue. After teaching in the synagogue, he cast out a demon, went to Peter's house for lunch, healed Peter's mother-in-law. Then he spent the afternoon casting out more demons and healing more diseases. And then that night went to bed and got up at day, before daylight, it says. Before daylight, he got up to pray. And then in verse 39, he started it all over again and he went out preaching. Now I want to give us a caution here. Christ was a minister. He was a teacher. That was his vocation. And he's also our mediator. And he's also the perfect man. So we mustn't think that all of our days are going to look exactly like Christ. That's not the point. The point is is that he filled his days with good things. He walked wisely and purposefully by filling his life with good things. Things like the word of God and, and blessing people and doing kindness to them and praying. See, that you can do, I can do, we can all do. We can all make the best use of our days by filling them with good things. Finally, exalting Christ and his kingdom. Every time that the name of Christ goes forward, that is more and more goodness. Every time that someone, there is rejoicing, we read in Luke 15, in heaven, when one sinner repents, there should also be rejoicing amongst God's saints when one sinner repents. And It should be our desire that Christ and his kingdom, by the way, eventually Christ and his kingdom will be the source of goodness that overtakes everything and and the light will shine in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And it will only be light and all darkness will be dispelled. But get used to that now. Like that now. Pursue that now. And you will enjoy it all the more. Now, what is the danger here? I'm telling you that the days are evil. Does that mean you need to be afraid? Is it the case that God is not going to win? That he will not have his way? That things will no longer or ever again be good? On the contrary, I can assure you God will win. The danger, however, is that you will be like the man who buried his talent. You will take what God has given you and squander it. And you will lose your reward. And you will find regret. You see, there is no question, but Jesus Christ will win. He will redeem his creation. The question that remains for us is, 
when he returns, well, we, we have been found faithful. And that is why, because the days are evil, we must pay attention to how carefully we live, living wisely and purposefully. Pray with me, please. Father, you say to us, if we need wisdom to ask you, we do ask, and Lord, we don't want to doubt, we want to believe, God, that you would grant us wisdom, give us understanding, forgive us, Father, for folly, forgive us, help us to set our priorities right. Oh God, we are almost like sheep sent out among wolves. We are lights in a world that is completely dark. Father, if you would give us the strength and the grace, if you would encourage your saints tonight, if you would show them, Father, your way, give us wisdom and purpose. Teach us, Lord, to number our days, to walk wisely and please you. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.